This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Republic Weekly Podcast. I'm Ro Samson Folk, and today, my pal, my buddy, my guy, everybody knows him so well. We are a tandem of sorts and singular in other ways. It's Lewis Satsman, superstar writer to the stars of Raptors Republic fame and other places, but mostly Raptors Republic. How's it going, man? It's good, dude. My day always gets like 60% better after your intros. It's uh, there's a scientific answer for that. I've mastered how to speak in an octave that is uh, pleasing to other people. It took thousands of dollars. I went to a lab. Uh, <laughs> I went through various different types of mazes and cornfields. And after a long time, I was able to find this exact pitch. And uh, I think well, that's that ex- the reason. That explains why your voice sounds totally different before you press record. But I meant just how kind and nice you are. That's what I meant about making my day better. Talking to Sam normally. Hey, Lewis, how's it going? It's right here. As soon as we get on the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, let's talk Raptors basketball. Two and one in the preseason. Kyle Lowry playing one game. A lot of people, including myself, speculating, and this is the first thing I want to talk about, speculating that the third game of the preseason, the first home game played in Tampa Bay, and Kyle Lowry's only game, was a preview of sorts of the rotation. I talked about it at length on the Reaction Podcast, what I thought that might mean. Do you think that was an indicator of what we might expect to see the rotations kind of behave, at least for the start of the year? Seemed like the rotation to me. Uh, I don't have to be happy about it, but it seemed like the rotation to me. Norm, Matt Thomas, and Boucher all got off the bench at the same time, uh, and then they they subbed. No, who they they took out Kyle and OG first, and then they put Kyle and OG back in after and kept the bench. Yeah, so I mean, it seemed pretty tight. Uh, if I were to quibble with anything, I thought Bembry got probably. Too many minutes, and some of those should have gone to Malachi Flynn, which is a minor thing. You know, the eighth, ninth spot is fluid. It's up for competition. Uh, Malachi could well not have minutes to start the year and, and win them as the season goes on. So honestly, uh, I was just happy to see what it might look like, happy to get some data. And yes, I agree. Probably a preview of what we're going to get. Okay, so I'll discuss the things that disappointed me too then. It's As far as track record in the NBA, Terrence Davis has shown a greater ability to bring scoring pop off the bench than Malachi Flynn. If the preseason was a prove-em type of situation, 
then I don't think Malachi Flynn should be left without minutes to start the year. Obviously, Nick Nurse is the coach. He has seen, you know, hundreds of players transition from college to the NBA. He probably has a decent idea of the things that get caught up in preseason, the things that get caught up in the regular season. But as it currently stands, a little bit disappointed with how that shook out. Bembry, I like the minutes where he's next to more prominent initiators rather than the ones where he is, you know, operating as one. Yeah, that is a little bit, uh, you know, I it's obviously not set in stone, but I don't want to see Bembry as one of the top two creators on the floor. I think he's he works really well as a third or fourth guy. He can make really clever passes and really great reads against a breaking down defense. And he's a nice point of attack defender. He actually looked like a more willing shooter than I expected. You talked about this privately to me, but Chris Boucher, not regarding what we talked about, but Chris Boucher had his best game so far. What did you think of his performance in Game 3? Yeah, uh, in Game 3 specifically, um, I thought it was, I mean, he just jumped at fewer shot fakes, which is nice to see. Um, He is the type of player, though, where structure is a a necessary quality. Uh, And this is what you told me. I'm going to take it as my my intelligent comment. Structure is a necessary ingredient for him to play well. Preseason is just not going to be the type of situation where a guy like Boucher plays well. So I wasn't as frustrated as others were uh, in the first few games, but it was really nice to see just something solid because if he is going to be the seventh man, he needs to be much more solid than he showed. And we finally got a taste of what that was. Yeah, I thought so too. It's nice to see the three-pointer go down. Obviously, he's not a 75% shooter, but he can hit the three. I've talked about this at length. Is he sitting at 32%? Could he get as high as like 37%? I'm not sure which it is, but I mean, I'm sure he he'll be respect. in between. Yes, right. Totally like he people does. jump out at him because he shoots without hesitation, and so thirty-two percent is still enough to stretch the floor, to, still enough to make the defense change how it reacts. So I have no problem with him shooting at thirty-two percent. I would be very interested to see what type of gravity Chris Boucher has versus what Marcus Saul had last year. Same with Serge Ibaka and Aaron Baines. Those four guys, I would just love to see how much they command defenders come out. Because, as you say, the percentage isn't everything. A willingness to shoot is important, too. A guy who comes in and shoots 40% on only the most wide-open threes, and if Andre Roberson in his heyday had like a 3-for-5 game, the defense would just keep letting that happen. But Robert Covington going 2-for-8 will cause teams a lot more grief, probably. So I think, yeah, Boucher... Him having that quick trigger, especially if bench units are going to be thin on creation, him being able and willing to take the first shot of the possession just to keep the ball rolling, to keep the rhythm of the offense, because the Raptors last year and this year look like they may have a tendency to bog down. I'm happy to have Chris Boucher there. And let's talk about the 4-5 situation. You're you're like the Chris Boucher whisperer to me because <laughs> of the disparity we had at the start of last season. What do you think of the four or five situation for him? Yeah, so, um, well, first about, just to continue on the point very briefly, he did say in a press conference 
that uh, this year he will be shooting less, uh, or at least he hinted at it, because he'll be playing alongside other players who are more likely to shoot, which means uh, Rondé and Pat McCall refuse to shoot at all. And this year he'll be playing more minutes alongside Matt Thomas, who has a quicker trigger. I mean, hopefully that comes true and he adapts his game to be less of a you know shot hunter. That would be really nice. Um, which brings the point to what you asked, you know, four or five. I actually would like to see him playing uh, some four where um, it seems like he's at five. He is at five on offense, you know, playing alongside OG. But he will guard teams' bigger wings, whereas OG can take the opponent's center. Um, I just, I think, I still have some questions about Boucher's ability to play center defensively and like clean up messes, make the right choice every time, uh, you know, stay strong, protect, not get bumped off his feet. And I think playing alongside a guy like OG, where those two spots can be fluid allows him to thrive on both sides of the ball. So 4-5 hopefully has more fluidity this year, whereas last year, Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, they're always going to be the five. Yeah, I love that point you bring up. Having OG and Boucher beside each other, it, it presents an opportunity for Boucher to play more intuitive type of defense rather than him being the back line five who's holding on to something and maintaining space as a defender in the paint. Where if it's fluid... The Raptors will probably play a more chase-style heavy defense and where they're getting out to a lot of spots. Boucher, if he's the guy in the pick and roll and he's maintaining passing lanes as a defender and stuff like that, I think he struggles. Yeah. If he's playing strictly help side stuff and sweeping over for blocks and contests, I think that's the uh, that's the strong suit. So exactly. I like that point you bring up. You want him shooting out to the corners to contest those shots rather than staying in and having to wrestle with someone, right? Like that's how you maximize him defensively. Okay. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. I've decided to start considering this a wing tandem. No longer will I call Pascal Siakam a big. I refuse. So our wing tandem of OG and Pascal. Any initial thoughts on the preseason, how it went for those two? Okay, so let's start with Pascal. He's been, uh, you know, the lightning rod. He's been the most controversial guy through preseason. You and I have talked about it uh, unrecordedly before. Um, but let's see how you feel about this. I think my basic point is that if you're a... Uh, rotation guy if you have a set role if you have nothing to prove i don't really care what you do in preseason like nothing that you do badly matters to me does that make sense yeah that's something i agree with 100 percent. even if i don't agree with the term unrecordedly although maybe it will grow <laughs> on me over time i tweeted this out and i did not like the return it got it actually broke my brain i said has a player ever been figured out and quote unquote figured out like the worst fears about Pascal suggest? Has that ever happened to a player without injury happening? And that was the conversation I wanted. Is there precedent for the worst fear version of Pascal? Which I don't think is what happened, but is there precedent for that type of thing? Because I wanted people to think about it and go, oh yeah, I guess second team all NBA guys just completely become mediocre players overnight. That's kind of what I wanted, but it just invited the same old talking points about 
you know, armchair psychology, what is going through Pascal's head. The NBA has figured out his spin move as if the spin move is the only thing he has, that kind of stuff. I'm completely on your side. I don't think any of the negatives that came about in Pascal's game in the preseason are applicable it, like to trend into the regular season. His jumper looked good. We've all wanted his jumper to look good. I really don't care about the rest of it. He yeah, shot 9 of 15 from downtown. If he did that any other, like at any other moment in time, we'd be so gleeful. But there's a really weird vibe around the conversations around Pascal right now because he just had that horrible, horrible bubble and then these three preseason games. So now the conversation around him seems way off base. I was encouraged by his preseason. Like, preseason is not about putting up numbers, you know? And so what I was looking for is how does he respond to different defenses? And when guys went under the pick and roll, he pulled up every time because guys went under. And he shot unbelievably. You know, his jump shot is just increasingly more fluid. Like, his wrist is beautiful now. I mean, if he is going to hit those pull-ups... That's game over. Like, who cares whether he chose to drive or not in preseason? He chose the correct basketball play, which is if you go under, I shoot. And he made it. Like, to end of conversation. That's awesome. Yeah, his feet are better, too. There's uh, there's not as much time loading up on the bottom half. So he had one air ball, but honestly, who cares? I Anytime Pascal starts shooting the ball well, that's great news to me because I don't think his driving game is something that he's just lost i still think the spin move is a viable move in the nba do guys sit on it sometimes sure but pascal as we've seen can finish strong to his weekend can finish strong to his strong hand he can sweep across the lane for a hook he can hit push shots bank shots all that kind of stuff he has counters yeah i don't think he's just a spin move guy he almost never spun in the entire 1920 season like, guys were already sitting on the spin move, and he went to his counters all year. Like, what does that mean? People figured out his spin move. They were already playing him for it, and he used that as an advantage. Like, what are people talking about? And it's the same thing. Now, this is going to be a bit of a tangent on my end, but the James Harden thing where everyone says he just hits free throws, it's like they make up a portion of his game, yes, but there's a lot of other things to watch and see he's succeeding at. Same with Pascal, but kind of like the inverse. It's not like he's just scoring off of spin moves. It made up a, a fraction of how he got to the bucket and scored baskets. So never understood that point. But I was encouraged by his preseason. I'll say that much. His defense, I thought, was really bad. But, like, who cares? The whole yeah, Raptors, who cares? They, they didn't defend very well. And until Baines kind of has it click in, I don't think that starting five unit will have very good defense because Baines has to maintain the middle. And he has to be good. And the Raptors have a lot of movement in their defense. And Baines has to figure it out rather quickly. Yeah. But I don't think there's much to worry about. That's obviously the answer. Fred, Kyle, OG, and Pascal, all of them exceedingly proven defenders. I don't think that warrants any uh, worrisome ideas. Okay, Absolutely. so OG. OG and yeah, the OB. other half of the wing tandem. Yes, the, our wing tandem. OG, I mean, the first game kicked major ass he looked awesome and i i am not underselling it the shots came easy they came within the flow he was dynamic off the dribble he brought the ball up he put up 10 shots in 20 minutes 10 shots in the first half that did not track over to the other games 
which is the real part of his game or are we operating in a middle ground now? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's who he'll be forever. Uh, guys don't just go from fifth options to second options overnight, right? Uh, and a lot of the OG hype is about that ceiling, but guys don't just hit their ceiling all the time. So, you know, he'll probably be a 14, 15 point scorer without looking at what he scored last year. Um, but I think it was he was 10.6. Yeah, so probably 14, I think, is a reasonable expectation. But what you can see a little bit more of is last year, and you and I both had big features on this, he only really drove against rotations or in transition. You'll see a little bit more of uh, drives against his primary defender who's set. And you'll see some more success with that, which you saw in game one. You know, you'll see guys looking to set him up when he's not a standstill shooter. You'll see more plays run for him. You know, just a little bit around the edges, and that adds up. But don't expect him to be, you know, a 20-point scorer uh, slotting in behind Pascal. You know, that's just not a, not a reasonable expectation at all, I don't think. I love watching him expand his handle. Even though it didn't result in shots, you could see it was there. He was able, I mean, he put Duncan Robinson on the floor in the first, like, four minutes of the game against Miami. And it was a nice little... That was gorgeous. Either, yeah, it was between the legs or behind the back. I can't remember. Uh, but then it was a little shovel pass to Pascal. Are you looking for him to finish the play? Are you wanting OG to be a guy who breaks down the defense? I'm not sure. And that's the thing about OG's role is he's not in the position that Pascal was last year. He's closer to the position that Pascal was the year before. And not everything is meant to be you know, applied to Pascal's situation, but just for, so everyone understands it a little bit more easily. Pascal was much better at the end of the 18-19 season than he was at the start. And the team had to get used to him taking advantage of situations. And then eventually they gave him the ball and then he became the situation at times. OG has to prove himself and create a track record as a guy who can break down the weak side with his dribble, can attack a closeout and put the ball down, all that kind of stuff. We've seen him stretch his legs a little bit as a primary initiator in the preseason, just a little bit, but most of the utility of this year with an advanced handle from where it was comes as a guy who's attacking closeouts, I would think. He'll bring up the ball every once in a while, but I think it's the closeouts. He's as steady a shooter as they come. I think that is beyond proven now through the pressure cooker of the playoffs through the regular season. He's very, very rock solid. Not worried about that. Hopefully he keeps up his excellent cutting, especially along the baseline. He's fantastic. And I thought the my favorite part was that his handle was much better in transition and his body control at the rim was better in transition too. He is a terror in transition. He's always out running but he is kind of like Bambi at times. So he's not always able to take advantage by the time he gets to the rim. If this, if this handle is truly there and there to stay, then I think he's far more dangerous in transition. And I would expect most of the extra four or five points some people might be projecting for him to get this year are actually going to come in transition because he's a little bit more competent there. Any uh, disagreements? No, those are all really good points. Um, I think a really good and worthwhile question is where you expect to see his initiation plays develop. Um, does he become a finisher or a creator? Um, 
And I think uh, maybe not the end point of that conversation, but a worthwhile point is um, what is the least bad result, uh, right? And, and so I'm not talking about turnovers, but just giving away an advantage you create. And when he attacks guys and loses his footing, he does give away that advantage. If not committing offensive fouls, which is something he had a huge tendency to do last year, then uh, at least stumbling, having to pick up his dribble, pitch back out. I mean, that's giving away an advantage, and that is sort of the worst possible result. Whereas those pitch passes, those little um, kickouts to Matt Thomas, that one in particular, he got back in the dunker to dunk after Thomas drove, that Mm -hmm. passing is a way for him to create an advantage, seem to lose it, and then keep it moving. And so I actually think you'll see a little bit more of him as an in-between connector passer, something he hasn't really done a ton of. But if you remember when he came back into the when he came into the league, uh, he had some really impressive passes, things that were uh, something that that didn't project out of college, and we're starting to see the gains of that now. Uh, and I just think if he improves as a passer, then that body control becomes slightly less important. Okay, so when I'm thinking of OG. As you talk about when he was coming into the league, the passing aspect, downhill shovel passes, wraparound, stuff like that. Yeah. They were in his bag and it was nice, but it wasn't asking him to connect a bunch of different things is where it gets a little bit tricky. Asking OG to break a guy down and then make the advanced pass. That's where it gets a little bit difficult. That's where players turn into pseudo all-stars, all-stars, all-NBA, MVP candidates is the consistency with which they break down and make the right decisions in congruence with each other. That's basically what we're waiting for with OG. I'm excited to see how much of it he can put together, but most importantly, just a guy who can build on what he's supposed to build on going into next year. Yeah, the wing tandem. The wing tandem. Okay, so front court. We talked about Boucher. I think Alex Len, I am higher on than most everybody else. Uh, that's that's fine. I think he has a chance to steal minutes at the five because he's such an easy player to plug in. His defense looked the most impressive of all the big men in the preseason. Yes. Of course, preseason is preseason. Take from that what you will. But Alex Len is big and affecting at the rim. And a lot of teams want to get to the rim at the preseason. Chief among them, the Raptors, who I think... of their restricted area and uh, of their shots were restricted area and three-point shot attempts. 82.75. That's absolutely nuts. But anyway, okay, Len, Baines, thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, uh, so Baines' defense was horrible. Um, And that's not something that is meaningless like it is for a Siakam because Siakam we've seen done it before in the system. Uh, unfortunately, for the Raptors system to really unlock uh, the center, Baines' defense has to be really good. Now, I think he'll get there. A lot of that is just it's a tough system, and it's really hard to win those extra inches um, if you don't know exactly what you're going to do well in advance. So I have total confidence Baines will get there. Um, but that's does it take him two months, or is he going to get there by game five? Like That's a real question. And that's the thing. In Phoenix, a more conservative system, he was, you know, a more dynamic defender than DeAndre Ayton. 
at the start of the season, Aiton learned from Aaron Baines as far yeah. as the court mapping, hedging, that kind of stuff. Baines, there's you can go find a video of him switching onto Curry and actually playing defense for half a possession, and it's good. Baines has quicker feet. He's a smart defensive player. Yep. I expect him to come around. But as you say, the preseason was actually very bad. And to the point where he was better as a as a step-up defender in the big man position than he was as a rotating big towards the bucket. And that's that's just is what it is. The Raptors, they allowed a lot of breakdowns because they're lackadaisical. They played bad transition defense throughout all three games. And Baines was trying to maintain a semblance of anything, and he wasn't doing a very good job at it. So it seems like he wasn't trusting the rotations would come. I mean, like if he was the big man trusted to rotate, he had to be there early, 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 and he had to abandon the corner and sort of previous principles did not let him do that early enough. I mean, that's hopefully, and as soon as you know the the system is drilled into him, you abandon the corner. You trust the wing is going to sink down. You trust the rotation will happen, you know, even before the ball hits the paint, ideally. And and that's the goal. So we'll see. I have faith he'll get there. But uh, but yeah, that's that's a really good point is that the Raptors defense, as far as allowing a certain type of shot, the corner three is actually counterintuitive to basically every other team in the league for the past four years. So there is some wiring that you kind of have to rig jerry rig out of your brain when you're coming into the raptors especially as a defender and the raptors have had the same big man defenders for a couple of years now and before that or i mean marcus all is maybe the biggest brain defender at the big man position of the past however many years so he picked it up quickly that does not mean that every big man will do so from here on out okay fred van vliet kyle lowry flynn davis etc the guards and the prominent ones. Kyle Lowry, first game back, I think 25 points, had a lot of lift on his jumper, was yeah. willing to send it at, you know, a moment's notice. He shot like 34% last year. The pull-up was down. The catch-and-shoot numbers were down. And you have to wonder, at an advanced age, if he's starting to trend downwards. This game, once again, preseason, take from it what you will, do you think this is a good indicator of his where his scoring pop might be? Because he's just has as much guile and trickery as ever, it seems. And he was trying in that game. Yeah, I, I mean, when you try and no one else does, it's easy to score. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I To me, Kyle did not have any drop-off in his offense while his jumper got worse because he somehow became like a top-five pick-and-roll passer in the league. Uh now, if his jumper is a 40% three-point shot again, then, yeah, he, he's like a top 10 player in the NBA. Uh, if it stays 34%, he will still become – he'll still stay an uh, you know, all-NBA caliber dude because of that passing, which isn't going anywhere. So jumper is nice to see. It, I'm not super encouraged by it, but nor am I worried about drop-off. Uh, honestly, just what needs to be said about Kyle, right? We know how he drives winning. He's going to keep doing it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he looks like this year. I don't know what the Raptors' plan is for how he'll be used because Marcus Saul, a guy who is primarily on the floor to set up other players, is now gone. Serge Ibaka, a guy who is primarily there to take shots, is now gone. 
how much of each is Kyle Lowry going to be usurping, taking oh, you over? Mean, you mean contract year Kyle? <laughs> Not necessarily, but I, I just mean how much of him is going to be necessary because he it's easier to ask a guy to do more than it is to ask a guy to come in and do more. You know what I mean? Like Kyle understands a lot more of this stuff and saying, Kyle, we're going to hand you, you know, 12 more ball handling possessions a game and that you're going to have the ball for that long. It's easier to do that than it is to say, OG is getting 12 right off the start or to say yeah. DeAndre Bembry is going to get six, OG is going to get four, whatever it ends up being. I think it's easier to just hand Kyle the ball and say, hey, genius, make genius things happen, which they could do by all means because Nick Nurse does like to win. Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, good contract. transition. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet, new contract, a very good player. I actually think, you know, if he is static, then it's still a team-friendly deal. He is capable of improving in a number of ways. There is, I don't think he's hit the ceiling at any one part of his game, even if he's close to it in some areas. I think there is progression left for Fred, and his contract was very team-friendly in my eyes. What do you think of him coming into this year? Did the numerous digs in on post players during the preseason, was that your favorite thing to watch? Or what do you think of Fred this year? Okay, so uh, so first the things we know. We know he is a top two or three guard defender in the league. Uh, we know he is a top, you know, five or ten catch-and-shoot shooter in the league. Those two things, barring disaster, aren't changing. Um, it seems like he is going to uh, become even more of an event generator on defense if those digs are be to are to be believed. And it seems like he is going to shoot even more pull-ups, which his pull-up numbers have actually been fairly middling for his career. Um, I wrote a big Sportsnet piece about how I want him to shoot more mid-range jump shots. Um, no need to get into the extreme nitty-gritty of it. I mean, I would love to, but we don't have six hours. The general premise is he needs to unlock the stuff he's great at by getting better at the stuff he is average at. And to do that, he needs to take the shots given to him, open free throw line jumpers. He did that in the preseason, and he hit him. I love to see it. Uh, the pull-up threes, I think he takes enough of. He just needs to make a few more of them. He hit him fairly well in preseason. So those are the things we know, and those are the things we suspect. Now, the thing that I think will really unlock him and take that team-friendly deal to a possible, like, championship deal is how good can he become initiating the pick and roll this is the thing that you and i have disagreed most on before do you at least think he can become uh good at it no like above average I, okay oh man above average is tough during see raptors players typically can get to above average because the infrastructure is so good. The coaching has been so good. Even with Dwayne Casey has been so good for so long. And guys in the regular season can usually get to a decent spot. Fred was an 11th percentile pick and roll ball handler in the playoffs. 11th percentile. I don't view him as a guy who will ever be above average. I view him getting to average as a win. Because pick and roll ball handling is an efficient play type. And 
if Fred can do that at a passable rate, that means he can lift up the offense in that play type for a decent amount of time. And they can tread water until he's able to return to off-ball offense, which is where he thrives, where he is six foot, maybe not even Clay Thompson. He's one of the best catch-and-shoot operators in the league. He forms up so intelligently off of other players' gravity and drives. He's so good in relocation. He's willing to move off ball. That makes him the special player offensively that he is, and that's why he was the net rating king during his first prominent season when he was still very under the radar. Last season, obviously, he rose to prominence in a lot of ways. But I don't think the pick-and-roll game will ever be a strong suit of his. But that doesn't mean he won't be excellent because whether or not he's truly an all-NBA-level defender or if he's just close, he's there defensively. And his size, despite you know a lot of fans thinking that that's an easy answer, that he's small so he's bad or that the Raptors have to change that, I think he wins almost every def- defensive matchup he's involved in. And to end on a positive note, too, the mid-range shooting that you brought up, love it. He got blocked on one by Casey Opala. That's what you're scared of. That's what he's scared of, too. You can tell he looks over his shoulder when he's about to pull up because he has a slow release and he's small. And it's not a high release either. So he has to be really mindful of who's if he's getting chased over the top or if the guy's bailing out and getting kind of rammed towards the rim by Baines or Len or Boucher, whomever. Which is that kind why... Of stuff. Having like being able to put the guy in jail, you know, back up, put him on your ass, take one dribble and go to a six foot floater would be such a useful move. I mean, like he doesn't have the lift of a Jimmy Butler, but neither does Kyle. And Kyle has that move down pat. Like to me, if Fred were to be able to add those like quick release one hand finishes, he would a get to the free throw line a lot more and just get blocked a lot less, which is really important. But but just to answer your point about the pick and roll thing, because to me that is the that's going to make or break his career. I mean, not that his career will ever be broken, but what will be the difference between uh, you know perennial all star and just a, a good starter? I think uh, his passing has improved. Now we've disagreed about how much, but uh, his finishing has not. And Nick Nurse, when asked about that, just continually says, well, he gets fouled, he needs free throws. He gets fouled, needs free throws. At a certain point, you can't say that's the answer because it hasn't happened. Uh, Now, I think Baines should help. Uh, You wrote about how Baines sets such hard screens. He Gortat screens. He will create more space because Ibaka and Gasol just spatially never roll into the deep paint. They always stop into the middle of the floor, one to pass, one to shoot. Having a guy roll all the way into the paint should help Fred both pass and finish himself. Um, but if it doesn't help him a lot, then we're looking at, uh, you know, maybe you're right. But I think whether, uh, because we've never seen his situation change, it's hard to say he'll never improve. Uh, now that there's something different, I'm looking at can he his numbers really get a lot better? Yeah, I hope because he has incredible finishing flair and that's probably the The biggest difference between yes the biggest difference between he and kyle is fred gets bumped off at the rim and kyle bumps guys off at the rim that's the difference like kyle could put daniel tice through the stanchion if he wanted fred will (laughs) 
take the contact on the back and will try and pop out on the opposite side of the rim, get the ball off the glass with English. One of those is seems a lot more difficult and would be very friendly to beg Twitter or people who really like those types of finishes, those types of plays. But Kyle's is more effective. And Kyle, being the smaller player, being able to cause that much damage and contact does reward more free throws. And because it speaks to Kyle's control. Fred needs control because he is really strong. And he definitely could emulate a lot of what Kyle does, especially finishing. Sorry to interject, but Kyle didn't start doing that until year five, I think. He was a 50% finisher at the rim until year five which is exactly what Fred has been. So, you know, there is precedent for guys learning how to finish midway through their career. Yeah, and I'm wondering, because Kyle, a big part of that too, was open lanes with the, he he started hitting more pull-up threes, what that meant for him, because Kyle used to be so explosive too, even 2015, 16. Yeah, you look at his finishes at, not above the backboard, but at rim level, even 2015, 16 was... Super impressive. But yes, Fred, there's a lot he can take from Kyle. I could be too pessimistic because, as you say, Kyle was a late bloomer as well. Small guards, they never stop adding stuff. You know, Fred, he can keep adding. So as I said, I think he can progress, specifically pick and roll as a finisher. I think there's a roadmap to progression there. As a pick and roll passer, I'm very low on him as far as creating for roll men. To the buppers and to the corners, I think he's excellent. And yeah. to the, above the break, too. I think he's excellent. He actually was one of the best above the, above the break creators in the league last year. Now, Terrence Davis, Malachi Flynn, initial thoughts on that. Is it a competition? Should it be? Who do you think is in the lead? I think if Malachi Flynn is competing with Terrence Davis for minutes, uh, he's probably not going to do so well. Because they play very different roles. Uh, Terrence Terrence Davis is an event generator. You know, he makes stuff happen. He can switch onto big wings on defense. He's a play finisher. He runs in transition. Um, Now, he did all of that fairly poorly in preseason. Not super important to me, just in terms of his on-court play. Um, Whereas Malachi Flynn, if he's going to win minutes, it's as a point guard, Right. It's going to be as a guy who can initiate plays, keep turnovers down, get other guys' shots. That's something that Terrence Davis can't do. That's something that as much as they pretend Pat McCaw's a point guard, can't do either. Bembry certainly can't do, right? They, If they really think that Malachi Flynn is going to get a role, that's where it is, and that's where he could possibly, uh, possibly pop. If he's competing with Davis, though, I don't think he's getting minutes. Interesting. So if so, I'm looking at this perhaps the wrong way then. I'm looking at this through the preseason lens. You have the wider view where it's just because Davis was on ball in preseason does not mean that's what he's being projected as. It was just him getting reps. And I'm saying if they're both meant to be on ball like they were in preseason, then Flynn, if I'm reading that correctly. Exactly. Okay, and this is the last thing that I'll ask you about Davis. We'll talk about Flynn a little bit more after that because you wrote that huge piece on him. I think he's been one of the most exciting players for the Raptors from this preseason. And a first-round draft pick is always exciting. But with Davis, there has been minimal contact with the media, if any at all. He had a private 
social media situation for a long time following the he was charged with criminal mischief and assault. And so that is alleged. His hearing was on December 11th. Has there been any indication from the Raptors outside of the initial statements that were made on what his situation is? Or are they just kind of trying to keep this, you know, mums the word and see if things move along privately? So it's been asked. Um, the team, both Bobby Webster and Nick Nurse have been asked about it. Uh, from what I remember, maybe Messiah, I'm not certain, but the company line and they have been following the company line is that uh, the, he will have his day in court. Um, they are following the situation closely and whatever happens will be a joint effort between the NBA players union, the NBA and the team. Um, so not saying really anything at all. We have not had a chance to speak with Terrence himself. Um, and he has had his court date. It was virtual. Uh, it came on the day of the first game, I believe. And there hasn't really been an update, um, at least from team staff to media since then. So um, if the team were trying to minimize it, uh, hope it goes away, it would look very much like this. That's not to say that's what they're doing. I really don't know their intentions at all. Um, it's not something that is asked all that often by media because we know we're going to get the same answer. Uh, so I'm not certain what the next step is for either side of the situation. Um, I just don't know uh, where how media should cover it. Uh, and I really don't know what the team is planning to do about it. Okay. Still very much in the gray. Some people believe this is black and white others happy to operate in the gray and wait for other entities to make decisions that trickle down that seems to be the case okay malachi flynn exceptional pick and roll player awesome awesome defensive performances in the preseason flashing a lot of the attributes that you and i both love about fred's defensive game i thought his screen maneuvering his screen navigation was awesome he had those classic digs that we've seen from fred before not that fred is the analog or allegory or whatever it might be not that that's what it has to be just somebody we've seen do it before in a raptors jersey and i think pretty good point of attack defense offensively i think just masterful manipulation of lanes the alley-oops he's thrown is all about how he averts his eyes to what the Raptors' primary action is and then able to throw pinpoint passes. I think in transition, he really has a great idea of what's happening, what defenders are preoccupying, which passing lane, which rim runners are going to come open, that kind of stuff. And the jumper's there. Do you, is there anything else you like about Malachi as far as the preseason went? Man, I, I was, to me, the biggest thing, so all of that is stuff we probably should have expected, right? Like, he was a huge turnover generator in college. He had a huge steal rate. He won Mountain West Defender of the Year, um, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, he was one of the nation's, if not the best, pick-and-roll point guards. He was unbelievable in transition, great shooter. You know, all that stuff was true, was awesome, to me, one thing that really stood out is he's stronger than I expected. Um, in my, you know, my big film breakdown of him, I sort of expected him 
to not be able to transition to the NBA immediately just because he, I thought he was a little slight. He could get bumped off his line as a finisher in college and guys are only stronger in the NBA. Um, and that just, I mean, he was strong. He held up. There was that one defensive possession against Terry Rozier that stands out where he guided him with his hips without fouling, contested the shot. Um, as a finisher, he shot so well in college uh, mostly by choosing his picking his battles. You know, he didn't really try to jump over guys. Um, he passed out if it was contested. He took open layups and he was amazing. And that can continue in the NBA. Like he was a good finisher in the NBA in the preseason. Um, and part of that was because he was so smart. Um, guys didn't were not able to bump him off his line so much that it really affected his play. So his strength was the biggest surprise to me. Um, but honestly, like talk about NBA ready, right? Like you could plug him in as the sixth man on a winning team and the team's going to be fine, right? Like you're not going to be at a disadvantage with him in a big, in a real role. And that's unbelievable. How, how many rookies could you say that about? Yeah. I mean, there's no difference between his output and Raymond Felton in his seventh season playing six man on any number of teams that he played for, that kind of stuff. Like he can step into a role and produce similar numbers to like a Raymond Felton. I don't know why Raymond is getting shade or praise. Uh, I'm not sure. However, you want to. You mean skinny uh, Raymond I, Felton? Any version of Raymond Felton. I mean, that guy <laughs> does his thing. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to say skinny or chubby, uh, svelte, any, any number of uh, attributes that could be applied to him but Malachi Flynn I think as you say there's such a high floor to what he's doing he is risk averse he he's a very very you know careful passer and you could see like in the last game the Raptors played five assists zero turnovers he makes really smart plays whether or not smart plays from smart players create as much as you want or the Raptors might want going in the future for a lead guard or something like that that remains to be seen whether he's truly dynamic as an event creator, stuff like that, that remains to be seen. But at the very least, makes great decisions while he's on the floor. I have loved his game so far. And it was enriched more because I got to read your piece before I started watching his stuff. So thank you for writing that, Lewis. And I know it wasn't just me who enjoyed it. So let's talk other guys. And yes, that's very specific of me, but other guys. I'm waving my hands in the air and pointing to everything and nothing. Other guys, okay. Stanley Johnson, Yuta Watanabe, Bembry, those types of guys. What's the situation on the the guys who are hovering around the tenth, eleventh, ninth men? What do you what do you think of those guys? Do you have any favorites? Okay, first of all, we haven't mentioned Matt Thomas. I just want to say one thing. I think he's ready. I think that guy's going to get time. He's going to perform. He's going to really help the team. Matt Thomas, huge. Plus, I think, in the rotation this year. All right. Um, Bembry looks to me like Bembry is going to be the guy that takes uh, Malachi Flynn's minutes, right? Just watching the first half of game three in the preseason, if that was the rotation, Malachi Flynn was only going to get those minutes from Bembry. Um, Bembry is going to be a high ceiling, low floor defender and a high-floor, low-ceiling offensive player. And that's what Nick Nurse wants from those guys, right? That's what he wanted from Pat McCaw. Um, that's what he wanted from uh, 
from Jody Meeks. <laughs> uh, not really what he got from Jody Meeks. But, uh, but that's, I mean, what DeAndre Brembry seems to give. Uh, he is, I mean, he's going to be good. He's going to have his moments. I still would prefer if Flynn got those minutes. But I have no problem with making a rookie earn his minutes, you know. Like, say it's in the general scheme of things, it's less positive for the Raptors in the first 20 games to, to not have Flynn playing. Maybe better for Flynn's own development over the next 200 games. So I have no problem with that. Is there a player you can think of that that was a positive for them? Like having 20 games off and saying like, hey, you got to earn it. Especially since Flynn already appears to be like very smart and defensively oriented. Um, well, Kyle, for example. Uh, Fred, uh, in that, well, Fred's a bad example. Uh, Pascal, <laughs> I mean, Pascal started when they needed him and then they sent him down to the G League for a minute. Fred, they sent down to the G League, I mean, expressly to be like, let's just win the championship. Uh, but I, I mean, most, I think most rookies have that, you know, it may not be so pronounced, but that that's true of most players. Okay. That, uh, that's a good answer, especially on the spot. I'm, I'm not mad at that at all. Okay. <laughs> the definitive sixth man, Norman Powell, uh, really bad preseason. But once again, a guy who I, you know, this could come off as biased or selective. That doesn't matter to me. He has a proven track record in exceedingly more important games, playoff yes. and regular season. He was one of the most consistent players in the league last year, to be quite honest, to be able yep. to come in and out of injuries, in and out of the lineup and do what he did. Kind of remarkable. Did you glean anything from his preseason all right, what are you expecting from him going into the year? Uh, I didn't glean much. I mean, he had a couple blow-bys uh, uh, with the ball. It would be nice to see his um, his dribbling improve slightly, his decision-making once he reaches the second line of defense improve slightly. But honestly, we know what we have in Norm. I'm in the minority where I want the Raptors to keep him, even if they lose him for nothing in the, in the offseason. Just he gives the team something they need, you know? They don't have a ton of guys who are just going to get a bucket, play finishers, you know, rise up over the defense as a shooter or as a finisher. Uh, Norm's awesome at that. The preseason did not convince me in any way, shape, or form that he's not awesome at that. And I think Norm's going to have a really good year for Toronto. This was a conversation I had with Oren, I believe, on the weekly podcast uh, three weeks ago, maybe. Or S. I can't remember which. I do a lot of podcasting. Okay. <laughs> Forgive me. Humble, but back. it was, if you think saying I do a lot of podcasting is a humble brag, oh, <laughs> it is not. Okay. Anyway, spurred on by your tweet asking a tweet I responded to asking, why is everybody trying to trade norm? And mine was, you know, my answer was that they're planning for the off season Norm's contract will have to come off the books or maybe he accepts it and being in the limbo of him accepting or not accepting makes their contract situations more difficult. That was when Giannis was still in play. Presume, let's say, it was Giannis was hypothetically still in play. Maybe he had already made his decision by then. And so I didn't think that would be better for this season. I didn't think they had a route to any trade that made them better for this season that included Norm. I just, I didn't really think that was something they had. 
if they wanted to package him for a young player who had all-star potential. Uh, when I sucked at, I think it was Oren. He suggested Wendell Carter Jr. if he could be had. I don't think the Bulls would ever do that. But if there's a, like a very easy, you trade a guy who's good now for a guy who could be better and kind of aligns with OG, Pascal, et cetera, maybe you do that. But if we're talking about this season, I agree with you. There's just, there's really nothing to be done. He's a very, very good player off the bench. Actually, he's exceptional off the bench. And in the wider league, he's a good player. And so I'm, I'm just excited to see what he does. I wonder how much structured offense he'll receive this year. Because last year, he received a lot of structured offense. Dribble handoffs, pin downs, stuff like that. I thought he was excellent. His reads of those plays, whether it was to become a shooter or to turn the corner and go downhill, I thought were awesome. His finishing in transition and in the half court, both very, very good. Just a consummate pro, a guy who comes in and puts points on the board and hits open triples, most importantly, whether it's above the break or in the corner. Loved all of that stuff. And yeah, Norm, I'm just expecting to be good this year. You know I don't what he know could improve? Where? He could improve as a quote, man. He, he rarely gives <laughs> the media much. Yeah, and Norm is just going to do his thing. He's going he's gonna to be great. I'm really looking forward to what he brings to the team this year and what happens when they're restructuring the team around you know a bunch of different players who could possibly leave, could possibly join in the offseason. I'm very intrigued to see what they do with Norm because he, he's obviously very important on the court, and uh, I wonder how they will prioritize him because, and, as we've seen, go ahead. And off the court. I mean, how often do you see a bench player have a huge season and then refuse to play off the bench? Like Will Barton, you know? Norm could easily do that. After the year he had last year, he could easily say to the media, I deserve to start. I mean, he has earned a starting job in mo- on most teams in the NBA. And to his absolute credit, he has no hint of dissatisfaction. That's, I mean, really important on the court and off the court. Okay, so now we have to decide what we want, Lewis. Do you want a better <laughs> quote? A guy who's going to say, hey, should be starting. <laughs> or do you want the team player? Okay, hey, when anyway. I talk about a good quote, I'm talking to a guy who will uh, at least talk X's and O's with me. I mean, Fred did, does that. Danny Green was was a really subtly good X's and O's quote. Uh, when you ask Norm about the actual game, he, I mean, he could give brilliant answers and chooses not to. I would love to ask him about why he reads what he does when he reads the pin down. Because right? the backtrack to open space, when to turn the corner, what he's looking for from his primary defender and what he's looking for from the, the guy who might hedge or come over top. I just, I would love to know. That would be a it, fun question. Okay. Guys we're missing out on. Talk Norm, Bambri. Okay, let's talk Yuda. What oh. do you think of Yuda? Oh, so much fun. Man. He, he is one of those connection wings who is just going to make cool passes. He's going to hit his shots. He's capable at, you know, at driving, at dribbling, at rebounding, at defending. At just Yuda could slot in as a ninth, tenth man and help a team. I mean, he's awesome. He's probably not going to do that, but he is going to dominate in the G League. Yeah, I think Yuda counts as my first. It's not my find because he was great in the G League, but I staked my claim in Yuda prior to the preseason. It was like I watched this film 
I think he's an NBA player. And it actually progressed exactly how I thought it would and the, you know, the positive attributes of his game that I had said I found were exactly shown exactly as I said it. So he's my first guy, I think, although he has a great track record in the G League anyway. But yeah, Yuta, I think he he did fantastic in the preseason. And he, everybody's heard me say this on the Reaction Podcast after each game, but he's active on defense. He can switch across two positions, maybe three, depends on who's running at shooting guard, that type of thing. I love his activity on that end. He was, you know, he worked on his rebounding. He brought a little bit of edge in that regard. Offensively, has a very stable jumper, one that you could see improving. And he he hit shots and he flashed to dead balls to get the the offense going. He's active on offense as well. So he keeps the back end of the defense preoccupied. And yeah, just lots of things to like. Okay, Jalen Harris. Patrick McCaw, Stanley Johnson, and maybe Paul Watson doesn't deserve to be in this group, but Paul Watson. Who do you want okay. to talk about first in that group? Uh, let's talk Paul Watson first. He just got his contract broken by our own Kelsey O'Brien. Really, really awesome. Uh, I mean, what a, what a story, right? He's earned that. I mean, he was not even remotely close to the league as recently as two years ago. I'm just I'm really happy for for Paul and uh, and he could reasonably play you know uh, five ten minutes a game in forty games this year and do very well. Um, Paul Watson's a success story has a bright future. This isn't the last we heard, you know. That's uh, I love his game and yeah, big shout out to Kelsey for breaking the news. That was lots of fun. Very happy to see some of her footwork that uh, was put in, groundwork, whatever the term is, put in with the 905, paying off with some NBA sources. So very cool. And Paul Watson, I I was also, I voiced my opinion that I wanted him on the team too. I think he brings tangible shot making to the Raptors and shot creation. So if you can find those two things, sign it and And put it on your roster. I mean, I thought he was a, a guard. I mean, he was a guard, but this preseason he played a little more wing, maybe a, a you know forward at times, and he banged well. I mean, he blocked some shots. Uh, he, I think, if he has a path to minutes this year, is at the power forward spot where, uh, you know, Boucher's backing up the center, OG's starting. Who's gonna fill in those power forward bench minutes? And if Paul Watson is going to get minutes, it's there. And he played well there for the preseason. Yeah, I had considered him a guard as well, just because of handle and the ability to shoot from all three levels. Typically, that's seen in guards. Whether they can get it off consistently, as we've seen with some guards, that's usually the question. But Paul Watson, a guy who's long, has been able to do that. But if the you know there's the idea that the position you defend is the position you play and Paul Watson was guarding fours he's long he is very long. not yeah he's not out of control with his arms or his contests that's huge that's a big thing so he's constantly in players airspace and shooting space all the time and you know how far that ceiling goes defensively i'm not sure but he's certainly rangy enough to belong in the raptors system whether or not he'll be able to bang around 
like he's obviously not going to get minutes if Blake Griffin comes to town, stuff like that. <laughs> but in those in-between minutes, like if Paul Watson wants to steal minutes against Jeremy Grant or something like that, and Blake is playing, you know, with another lineup, who's to say, right? Like he can bang around for like a tiny little bit. He's long. He'll contest. And he he was diligent. He He totally gave a shit when he was playing defense, which was... Awesome to see. And a, a couple of really nice blocks. I'm, I was a big fan of his performance. Agreed. Okay. Stanley Johnson, McCaw, thoughts on those two? I think they, Raptors fan base is like out on those two. McCaw, I think, is the superior player. Although I, I still, I didn't understand the fixation with him last year, despite, you know, the, intuition that he's a good practice player and nurse likes his point of attack defense i still didn't really understand what do you think of those two guys this year i think mccaw is the dramatically superior player to johnson it's probably a little insulting to mccaw to have him in this group um to me he is (laughs) clearly fighting with matt thomas and terrence davis for minutes uh as the you know eighth ninth players behind boucher and Powell, uh, and McCaw will probably have some games still where he plays 20 minutes a game. You know, there will be some games where the Raptors fan base and writer base are calling for Nick Nurse's head for playing Pat McCaw minutes, even though the Raptors will probably win the game. Uh, That's sort of what it's come to at this point. I agree with you. He is not as high ceiling as those other players. Um, I also think he probably brings less to the table than... Matt Thomas, Terrence Davis, I've written as much. Um, But if Terrence Davis remains a mistake-heavy player, which he was all last year and through the preseason, uh, or if the Raptors decide that the ongoing legal legal proceedings are enough to um, affect their usage of him on the court, uh, I think McCaw is still a really important piece. Uh, His shooting has improved. I mean, he shot like 38% on standstill threes last year. Um, people don't really know that. He's actually become a league average-ish shooter. Um, so yeah, McCaw, you know, not as bad a player as people think he is. I don't think he's as good as some other guys on the roster, but uh, but certainly, you know, something to be said for him. As far as Stanley Johnson goes, he's fun at point guard. <laughs> and that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, listeners of the podcast will 100% agree with what you said about McCaw. It's something I've been saying for a little while, too, is the shooting is better than most people think. It's very slow load up, and he only takes them when he's fairly open oh, to wide openness. open. It, uh, he needs to be open to take them, but you there's a reasonable expectation that it will go in if he's, if he's actually letting it go. So he can hit if that's getting quicker, if he'll be more shot heavy. I'm not super sure. He's still relatively young for his you know his resume he's got a lot of a lot of stuff on there three-time champion maybe most importantly and uh, go ahead and he gives great quotes nice to know a great quote guy and most importantly i think why the raptors liked him is if they're running really structured offense out of their horn sets and stuff like that he's a risk averse passer but a good decision maker with the ball exactly. he had a very tidy assist to turnover ratio you hate turnovers the Raptors didn't lose the Boston Celtics series because they missed shots. 
They lost it, you know, partially because they turned the ball over too many times. And Pascal's missed shots weren't the worst part of that. It was his turnovers that created wide open layups on the other end. So Agreed. having Pat McCaw, not saying that Pat McCaw was going to fix <laughs> the Celtic series, just saying that throughout the regular season, he'll play responsible basketball, which most coaches love. Responsible, okay. mature, Let's, yes, yes. Yes. Lewis, I can tell you're already upset at me. Because I left Matt Thomas for this long, and I know you've wanted to talk about him much earlier. I like I can tell. So let's talk itching. about Matt Thomas. <laughs> uh, where do you rank him as a shooter in the league? Top like, five? Is he top five? I mean, he's close. If he isn't, like Steph, he he'll play. Okay, wait. Uh, just like, are we going? Are we going to be really, really? rudimentary and just go like statistically or does the level of difficulty and the you know pro- how prolific they are does that matter uh, statistics are almost the worst form of analysis for what okay. i want i want okay, all so of the aesthetic cons- i here i think he is i'll name guys point- who are better okay go ahead go ahead wait you go ahead first i think at this point he is better than jj reddick better than kyle that's crazy to me. JJ? JJ Redick does not have nearly as polished, not polished, as explosive footwork anymore. Coming around screens, coming around pin downs, shooting up from the corner. I just, JJ might be able to hit the same number of shots, but I think, uh, I think Matt Thomas will be able to get his shots off with better frequency at this point in their careers. Wow. And the that... same goes double for Kyle Korver. That actually, that blows my mind. Kyle Korver, I'll agree with. I think Matt Thomas has surpassed him. JJ coming off like a 45% from downtown season and like three a game. And the Pelicans weren't even sure how to use him. I'm excited to see how Stan Van Gundy uses him. But wow, I'm that shocks me. Okay, so shooters I think are better than Matt Thomas. Uh, Davis Bertans, okay. Steph, Clay, okay. Okay. JJ, no. maybe... <laughs> maybe buddy healed i and, disagree uh, entirely okay that's then we then we disagree okay but I'll jj two more two more i don't know if i have two more off the top of my head uh i'm trying to think who who are other great shooters in the I league th- so i think kevin durant's a better shooter oh i mean yeah kd totally and i duncan robinson as much as i hate to say it i think is a better mm. shooter as well okay those are two good ones yeah Duncan Robinson, for sure. Should we be thinking about this in like stylistically? Because then yes. JJ, JJ Duncan and Matt and Corver and Bertans all kind of fit the same thing. And like Steph, Clay, and KD are all kind of removed from it, you know? Clay less so, but yes. I mean, Kyrie would be in the conversation. I don't think he's as good as Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas, I mean, look. If he shoots a prayer triple where the guy is in his grill, he's fading away six feet behind the line, that shot has like a 36% chance of going in. He is an unbelievable shooter. It's insane how good he is at shooting. I wish I was having this conversation with a third guy and he was from Philly so that he could say, fuck on Korkmaz, pretty good shooter, like something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but okay, I, Matt Thomas, I, I'm not fighting against anything like this i 
JJ, that surprises me. But if if he's better than healed, that that doesn't matter to me either. I'm just trying to think of good shooters. He's like top five. And if not top five, top seven. And if not top seven, top ten. There's just no <laughs> way he's out of the top ten. He's one All of the right. best shooters in the world. That's that's what it is. He he punishes teams that sag off and he punishes teams that forget about him. And he does it at a striking rate. And he's fantastic. And uh, defensively, had a pretty good preseason defensively, quite honestly. Like, did he get back cut a couple times? Sure. Is Are his arms short? Uh, totally. I watched you ask him that, and he seemed uh, overjoyed by your question at the idea that his <laughs> arms wouldn't grow anymore. I remember watching that. Yeah, and... he was like, I can take some nutrients. That was, that was good. That was funny. Yeah. I like that. Anyway, he is, you know, the, the offense should be able to use him in numerous ways, and he should provide tons of spacing. I, as I highlighted in the video I made for Raptors Public, is it was one of the threes that Pascal hit where they went under the pick and roll. The pick and roll was defended a certain type of way because they went very strong side heavy and just had Matt Thomas space out one half of the floor by himself. And so the Raptors in that play were looking to get Pascal going to his right downhill with LaMelo Ball as the only help side defender. Instead, they just decided to go under the pick and roll and Pascal was wide, wide open. But they can get really creative with their sets and stuff like that because of the spacing and gravity that Matt Thomas has. You could just walk him out to a corner and the other team should be like, holy hell, we don't want that guy to be open. I'm, I'm very excited. And defensively, his shortcomings... Have never been longer. Is that a term? <laughs> shortcomings longer. Yeah, 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 I'll allow it. Yeah, his shortcomings have never been longer, meaning they're not so short, you know? Yeah, I hear you. I agree. I mean, I think he's really going to help the team. Uh, if I were to choose the rotation, I would have him and Boucher uh, and Powell as the three main guys off the bench with Malachi Flynn's filling in as the ninth man. That would be my rotation. I think Matt Thomas has earned that. Sorry, did I say I Yeah, yeah, I think I think Matt Thomas has earned that. And when he gets minutes alongside Pascal, OG, Fred, he's really going to help those three guys uh find wider lanes driving to the hoop. Yeah, I think that is the eighth man rotation, eight man rotation I would go with. Nine, nine and ten, I'd go with Bembry and Malachi Flynn and Flynn higher as the nine man. So I feel like that's the team based on our, I guess, preseason watching. How do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. A uh, lot, of, lot of names we went through. Honestly, I'm shocked after the Raptors lost Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. I'm shocked that they seem, I mean, just looking at the rotations, like they should be just as competitive this year. I agree. Yes. I think that their offense will actually improve, and I think that their defense will get a little bit worse. I know that is different than some people's opinions who I really, really respect. Some people who I think are really smart see their offense dropping farther and their defense getting better. We'll see. But I actually think it's the inverse. I think that their offense will get a little bit better with the progression of OG, Pascal, Fred, a static Kyle, hopefully. And Aaron and having Baines. A, a screen, yeah, the screen setting of Baines should help a lot. That's Yeah, that's my thinking, is that Baines kind of... He 
he forces the shot creators on the team to take more shots for themselves just because yes. of how much space he creates and the type of play and how many seals a game he'll get, like one, two a game. That that might even be high. But Fred Van Vliet, every once in a while, will actually find himself walking to a wide-open bucket because Aaron Baines has tackled the, the big man under the stanchion for whatever and, reason. And, and the help defense. <laughs> yes. That, yeah, that's exactly it. Like He'll set the screen, and the guy will be gone, and then he'll be rolling, and Fred will snake it, and then Baines will be like, oh, this is perfect. I can just smash this guy into the, the fan section. I'm going to slow snowplow every defender that could possibly reach this drive. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's what you want. There were times last year where the Raptors outthought themselves. I wrote it for the first time during the Philadelphia series um, with Kawhi Leonard here, where the Raptors were doing too much time thinking. You know, Kyle and Mark were just passing and passing and passing. And what the heck were they getting on offense? Nothing. And that became even more true last year without Kawhi to finish those plays. And I think that will be less true this year. I think the Raptors will be forced to just shoot good shots when they get them. There's a certain point where you pass up a good shot for a great shot and you end up getting nothing. And I think that will happen less often to the Raptors. Um, just because Baines isn't the type of player to do that. He's not going to be throwing miracle passes. And counterintuitively, that could help at times. And I have it on good authority that Pascal Siakam will actually shoot 60% from three on roughly uh, five attempts per game. Not me projecting uh, preseason stats or anything, but uh, just on good authority. Lewis. Sources. Yes, sources. Lewis, that feels like the Raptors heading into the season. How do you feel? Oh, I feel good. I feel almost as good about the Raptors as I do about this podcast. Wow. That's high praise because I know you like the Raptors. Okay, Lewis, before we get out of here, the floor is yours, mate, if you want to plug anything. I know there is some overlap uh, between us, but uh, feel free. Well, in fact, uh, you and I have a newsletter that I am really, really happy is back. We took a month or two off during the offseason. It's called Minute Basketball. Uh, just want to say, if you guys haven't haven't read it, if you just listen to Samson, well, you can listen to Minute Basketball too. And his writing last week was beautiful, was gorgeous. You really need to check your boy out. Thank you, Lewis. That's too kind. And uh, if you... If anybody enjoyed listening to Evan Colberto, uh, the quote from him is that our newsletter made bubble basketball more enjoyable for him to watch. It's very high praise from a guy who watches a lot of basketball. So I hope you can take his words, apply it to what you think, and uh, go subscribe. It's probably going to be worth your time because it's not invasive and uh, there's an audio version of it. So if you don't want to read what we say, you can just listen to us and uh Obviously, we're about an hour and 20 minutes into this podcast. You're quite practiced at listening to us. Lewis, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, man. Always, always the best time, Samson. Thanks so much, man. Okay. And listener, that's it for you. That's it for me. That's it for Lewis. But we've had a lot of fun. We've had some laughs. And we've had some words and things that we've said that will be cut out of the podcast that you will never hear. But Lewis and I hold it dear. Anyway, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.